0: Ecclesiastes chapter ten. We'll start in verse eleven, right where we left off last week. It's some. It's kind of some tough. Some tough pa- uh, scriptures here in this particular chapter. Some things that that aren't obvious exactly what they mean. And we're going to have a couple of more of those in this passage that we're about to read here tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter ten, verse eleven. Let's pray. And we'll get started. Father God, we come to you, and I pray, God, that you'd be with us. Dear Lord, I pray that we would hear from you tonight, that you would free us of distractions and things of the world and worries and just whatever it is we may have brought into this place. Dear Lord, I pray that you be with me. God, I cannot preach or teach or say a single word tonight that it will be worth anything if it does not come from you. And So, God, I pray that everything we hear tonight would come from you, would come to your word, that it would help us, dear Lord, to grow in you and to live for you, and to live with more wisdom in our life and less foolishness, God, that we would learn that from this, this chapter tonight. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The theme of uh, Ecclesiastes 10 up to this point has been foolishness, the error of <laughs> foolishness, or folly, your translations may say. And that's, that's kind of been the main point, and, and that's going to continue to be the point in these passages We look at tonight verse 11 if the snake bites before it is charmed There is no advantage for the charmer now What in the world does this have to do with anything that we've talked about? Well, this is a tough passage to really understand and 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 maybe you have read it and you thought well Really? What does that mean after all the things we've been talking about? And if you read the commentaries and 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 search the experts uh, many of them don't really give a, a good explanation of the passage either. It's hard to know exactly what this passage means. The point of of the passage, in some sense, is pretty easy. There are times when the snake charmer is bit by the snake. Now, you've probably we've probably all seen, maybe in person or at the very least on movies or TV shows, snake charmers. And usually there will be a snake in a basket and they'll remove the, the top of the basket and they will begin to make moves or begin to say things or begin to play their flute and the snake comes and it bobs and weaves its head and the snake charmer is able to, in whatever way it communicates and controls the snake and is able to make the snake do all these things and eventually the snake will go back into the basket or whatever it's in and the snake charmer will put the lid back on the basket. But the illustration here is simple. We understand that. But what does it say here? There is no advantage to the snake charmer if the snake bites before it is charmed. Now, in, in the context of the foolishness that we are talking about here and have been talking about in these last 10 verses, perhaps the interpretation here is this, is that the snake represents the foolish person. And if you are not careful, you will get bit quickly. Now, I'm not sure if that's exactly what that means or not. That seems to be Uh, one of the prominent views of this passage but perhaps there is something else that is meant here if that's not what is meant here the fact of the matter is still true and we can see that through the rest of scripture is we want to be careful around fools a we want to be careful that we are not the fool and b we want to be careful when we are handling fools because they will bite us quickly even if we think oh i can handle the fool well guess what You better be careful. And the same way that a snake handler may think, I can handle a snake, sometimes the snake bites the snake handler to his own death, to his own demise. Uh, You see that sometimes, uh, a lot of times you see it in Middle Eastern cultures, but you even see it here sometimes in the United States. Not so much snake charmers, but preachers in certain parts of the country, and particularly in Appalachia. Uh, and they will handle snakes, and they'll twist them and throw them around, and they say, oh, this snake's not going to hurt me, until guess what? Sometimes the snake will bite you, and that's not good. So you need to have a little wisdom so that you are not overtaken by the foolishness. So perhaps that's the meaning of verse 11 there. Verse 12, The words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious. Now, let's think about that for a second. We kind of are seeing some contrast here between those who are wise and those who are foolish. In which category do we fall into? Now, I don't know about you, but I would like to think that I fall into the category of being more wise than I do foolish. But then sometimes I look at the choices I make and the things I do, and I say, Well, that's foolish, and that's foolish, and that's foolish. And if I begin to weigh on the scales, if I'm honest, sometimes the foolishness outweighs the wisdom. What does it say here? It says, the words from the mouth of the wise man are gracious. Now, he's starting a little section here where he talks about the words of the fool and the words of the wise man. Now, which one are we? Are we wise? Or are we foolish? Well, part, part of what will help us to see whether we are wise or foolish is, are the very words that come from our mouth. Are we those that are men and women of wisdom, that that, that graciousness flows from us, that by our actions and by our deeds and by the very words that we speak, by the very way that we speak to people and speak about people, when our mouth opens, does it open with graciousness? Because it says here that the wise will open their mouth with graciousness. Is our are our words gracious when we speak? Are our words are our words as sharp as a sword? Do they, do they cut through people? Do, do they demean people? Do they talk about people? Are they words that come from our mouth to lift ourselves up? Words of pride? Or are they words of graciousness and compassion? The wise man or woman will speak words of wisdom and graciousness. But what does it say of the fool? It says here, but the, fo- but the lips of a fool consume him. Okay, so the fool keeps on talking so much so that it gets him in trouble. The, the words of the fool bring destruction on him. And so more times than not, it is probably, probably better for us to keep our mouth shut than to open our mouth. Because we could probably all point to a situation or two, probably a situation or two today in which we would have been better off to keep our mouth closed. Sometimes when we open our mouths, it gets us into trouble. And that's the contrast. That's the point he's making. Hey, be careful how you speak. The wise man speaks graciously. The wise person speaks good things. But the foolish person opens their mouth, and it brings about a world of trouble on them. He continues on in verse 13. The beginning of the words of his mouth is folly but the end of his speaking is evil madness so when the fool begins to speak it starts out with a little folly which is bad enough and it ends up with what does it say here evil madness and so the more the fool speaks the worse and the worse and the worse it gets and so there needs to be there needs to be some light in our mind that goes off i, I will give that light a name we'll call it the holy spirit or we'll call it the word of god that we know the word of God, that the Holy Spirit would guide us, that when those moments come, that we begin to open our mouth and those words begin to flow, that hopefully the Holy Spirit will throw up that flag and said, hold up, you better think before you speak. Now, I would say probably more times than not, we have that conviction. We know because we will say things like, I know I shouldn't say this, and if we stopped right there, it would be fantastic, but we don't. We say, I know I shouldn't say this, but, and then what do we do? We let those foolish words flow from our mouth. We talk about someone. We say something that we shouldn't say, whatever it may be. And so when we have that conviction and we feel like maybe I just need to keep my mouth shut, well, there's a good chance that there's a reason why you feel that conviction. And we just need to keep our mouth shut. Now, we probably all fail at that more than we would like to admit. But I believe with the power of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit, every time we get those victories, every time that conviction comes and we sh- we shut our mouth, then we've just received some strength. We've just said, hey, you know what? I can, by the power of God, I don't have to open my mouth. I don't have to say the foolishness. I can keep quiet. And every time we do that, it helps us to be able to build up that strength so that we won't Utter those foolish words, and hopefully eventually we will be those who our words are more gracious than they are foolish. Verse 14, yet the fool multiplies his words. No one knows what will happen, and who can tell anyone what will happen after him? While it would be good if the fool would shut up, and that is true for us sometimes, there are probably times that it would have been better for us to shut up. Oftentimes when we are caught up in the midst of our foolishness, it may be fueled by our emotion or something that's going on, whatever the reason is. Oftentimes once we open the floodgate and our tongue begins to wag, we just go on and on and on and on and on. Have you ever done that before? And then you look back at the end of the day or at the end of the week and you think, Man, I wish I wouldn't have said all those things. I wish I would have just kept my mouth shut. We probably all have experiences like that, and here it says of the fool, the fool multiplies his words. He continues to talk and talk and talk and talk when perhaps he should be quiet. And then we see an idea that we've seen repeated several times here in the book of Ecclesiastes. No one knows what will happen and who can tell what will happen after him. Now this is a good reminder to keep us in check. There's coming a day that we will all be dead and gone, and we don't know what's going to happen after we are dead and gone. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Now we may think we know what's going to happen tomorrow. We may have some plans, and And more times than not, we kind of know I'm going to get up at this time, I'm going to go to work, or I'm going to go do this thing. And and we kind of know what's going to happen. And more times than not, it probably does. But then there's always those monkey wrenches in there. Sometimes there's emergencies that come up in there. And so we don't know what tomorrow holds. We certainly don't know what's going to happen when we're dead and gone, nor does it matter because we'll be dead and gone. And so we can come to this conclusion. We do what we can today. We live for the Lord today and we let tomorrow worry about itself because today has enough worries of its own. Now, in the context of this passage of the fool and it coming right after it says here, yet the fool multiplies his words, perhaps there is some connection there. Maybe the fool's words are are multiplied about great things that he he is going to do or things that are going to, to come. Maybe that's the... The, uh, the meaning there. Or, or maybe that, that second sentence in that verse is to be taken separately. Maybe it's just simply a reminder, hey, you better live for today, and you better make wise decisions for today because you don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. And your foolish decisions today may have foolish consequences tomorrow. But then again, your wise decisions today may lead to wise consequences tomorrow. Verse 15... The struggle of fools weary them, for they don't know how to go to the city. Now, this is, this is another one that's kind of, kind of a strange thing. So we can understand the idea that the struggle of fools weary them, a fool in their foolishness. I mean, uh, a lot of times it takes a lot more energy and effort to, to be foolish and to continue to live foolishly than it does just to do the right thing. There are so many people that work so hard to try to cheat the system, to try to get money, to try to steal something, to do something. They they could work half as hard at a real job and probably make just as much. But oftentimes we work harder to do evil and the consequences is it's a struggle, it's a it's a it's a pain, it's a it's a stress, it's a worry. If we just did right, we could do away with a lot of that that struggle that we oftentimes Uh, experience because it accompanies our foolishness. And what does it say of the fool here in the second part of this verse? For they don't know how to go to the city. Now, I'm not sure exactly what this means here, but perhaps the meaning is something simple. How hard is it to go to the city? Well, it's not that hard to go to the city. Uh, If you wanted to go to Macomb, you would head out on 24, and you would go straight, and you would get to Macomb. How easy is that? Well, that's pretty easy. If you're not sure that you're going on the right path, just as you get out of Liberty, you're going to see a sign that says Macomb, 20 miles. And as you get into Macomb, you're probably going to see a sign that says you are now entering Macomb or something along those lines. There are signs all along our paths. We can go to places we have never been before, even before our smartphones. It's easy now. But even before our smartphones, and even before MapQuest, y'all remember that back in 1995? You'd you'd get on your dial-up internet, and you'd go to MapQuest.com, and then you would wait about 20 minutes, and then it would load, and then you would print out your directions to get to wherever you were going, and that was the greatest thing ever. This This is the best... It's never going to get any better than this. And now we got smartphones in our pocket to tell us where to turn. But even before smartphones and MapQuest, people somehow managed to figure out their way to get places by following the roads and by following the maps and by following the signs. And you don't have to be a genius to figure out how to get from point A to point B. But what does it say here about the fool? The fool doesn't even know how to go to the city. The fool doesn't even know his way. He lo- he's lost his way. He can't even... He can't even do the simplest task. That's, that's what foolishness does for us. It, it causes us to lose our way and get in a spot where we don't, we don't know left from right. We don't even know which way to go to get to where we're going or where we're going when we get there. Verse 16. Woe to you, land, when your king is a youth and your princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, land, when your king is a son of nobles and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Okay, so now it's kind of shifting gears here to the leader of a land. Now, any any land, any country, any people that has a leader, hopefully everybody would, would seek for good leadership, for someone who would lead them right and do good things, that would protect the people and provide for the people, make good decisions, wise decisions for the nation, for the the people. But what does it say here? Woe to you land when your king is a youth and your princes feast in the morning. Now, there's something some certainly something to be said for age because many times wisdom comes with age. However, that's not to say that there are not some young people who are wise. There are in fact some very young people in this world that I am sure are much wiser than people that are 70 and 80 years. And so age in and of itself does not necessarily imply that wisdom is there. More times than not, there is going to be a, a better, a, a more of a measure of, of wisdom in an older person. But I don't think that that's exactly what he's saying here. Uh, you may remember a couple of weeks ago when it talked about the rich man And and the idea there being not so much one who is rich in wealth, but that the rich symbolize those who are wise. Perhaps the idea maybe being those who are rich in wisdom. And maybe the idea here is the same. Woe to you, land, when your king is a youth. Or that is to say, when your king is foolish. That would fit the context of this passage. There have certainly been throughout the history of the world... And even in the Bible, some kings who were younger who were very wise and some who were older who were not wise at all. And so this is not necessarily an indictment against a young person, but I think youth here may be speaking of those who are foolish. Woe to you who have a king who is foolish. And what else does he say? And princes who feast in the morning. Now, when, do you, when should you feast? Well, you should feast at night as we see in the next part of the passage because oftentimes what is feasting involved? Well, feasting involves eating and, and drinking, and drinking wine. Now, if you start out your morning and you're already drinking wine, or you're pouring yourself a drink, you're already off to a bad start, because if you start drinking in the morning, you're going to be drunk before lunch probably, and that's not good, that is, that is foolishness. And so he says, look, when you have a foolish king, and those who serve the king are feasting early in the morning, they're living in foolishness, and that's not good. That's not good for a people when that's the type of leadership that is over a nation. And so woe unto that nation who has foolish leaders. And that can apply to any nation that has ever existed. When a, when a, when a nation or a country has good leaders, then they will be blessed. But when they have foolish leaders, watch out. Because there is going to be bad things that are going to occur. It does not matter what nation you live in. Foolish leaders are going to bring a nation down. And that's what Ecclesiastes says. But what does he say for the good leader? Blessed are you, land, when the king is a son of nobles. That is, that is your king is a good king. He's a wise king. He comes from a noble family. He's prepared for the kingship. Uh, one is foolish and one is wise. And what does it say of those princes, of the wise king? And your princes feast at the proper time. So there is a proper time to feast. If you want to feast when the time is proper, then so be it. That's not a bad thing. That's not a wrong thing. But what does he say that the, that the wise king and the wise princes feast for? It says they feast for strength and not for drunkenness. So there is a time to eat and there is a time to drink. But the foolish eat and drink to their, to their own hurt. To their own demise because they're living in foolishness so blessed is the good king but woe unto the bad king or the bad leader verse 18 because of laziness the roof caves in and because of negligent hands the house leaks now anybody that has ever had any kind of structure a house or a shed or a barn will know that there is upkeep that is required it does not matter how how good you keep things up there's always going to be something that comes up there's going to be a rotten board there's going to be a leak and those things are going to pop up they are inevitable but what do you do when those things pop up well hopefully you repair them. if you don't repair a leak in your roof and it continues to leak and to leak and to leak then guess what that's not a good thing that's going to that's that's a that's a foolish decision that's going to destroy Whatever it is that's leaking. And what does he say here? Because of laziness, the roof caves in. That is, the fool does not take care of things that need to be taken care of and ultimately the roof caves in. Now, perhaps this illustration of this house or this roof, this structure is an illustration of of a kingdom that's being led by the foolish king. That is, the foolish king doesn't take care of what needs to be taken care of and the house or the kingdom or the nation crumbles, uh, experiences hardship. Or or maybe it's just a a proverb just to say, hey, here's some practical advice. You understand that if you don't take care of stuff that needs to be took care of, it's going to fall in. So take care of stuff that needs to be took care of in your life. Verse 19. A feast is prepared for laughter, and wine makes life happy, and money is the answer for everything. Now this is another one of those tough passages it is really hard to know exactly what it is talking about. There are two schools of thought. Uh, one is a positive uh, for wisdom, and the other is a negative against foolishness. Now, the thought on wisdom would be, this is, this is saying similar things to what the rest of Ecclesiastes has said. That is, life is tough, and God has blessed us that there's, you know, we need to enjoy the simple things, the food and the drink, and enjoy what God has given us, and, and God has given us monies to be able to to do those things and enjoy those things, and we need to be wise and enjoy those things that God has given us money to be able to eat and to drink. Now, that's one way that this passage is interpreted. The other way is that this is speaking about the fool. Now, I, I tend to believe that this is probably speaking about the fool and foolishness simply because that's been the predominant uh, point of this whole chapter up to this point it's talking about the fool we just talked about what the foolish leaders did what did they do they begin to feast and they begin to drink early in the morning and so here a feast is prepared for laughter and wine makes life happy okay they're eating and drinking and they're having a big old time, and then what does it say? And money is the answer for everything. Now that, to me, when I read that, it appears as though it's saying, hey, the fool doesn't really have any idea what's going on in life. They just care about having a good time. And they just think, as long as I've got money and power, all is well, because money can do anything. Anything I want, anything I need, anything I desire, money is the answer. Now that's the way a fool thinks, and sometimes we may be tempted to think in such a way that money is the answer to all our problems. Now, no doubt about it, it's better to have money. Oh, I say that. Sometimes it's not. Perhaps we don't always use our money well, and maybe it's more of a curse than a blessing to have money. But, but generally speaking, let's say it sure is better when you when you need groceries to check your bank account, and see you got. You know, a few thousand dollars in the bank, you say, hey, I can go buy groceries. Of course, in a few years, if the rate is going, you'll spend a few thousand to buy groceries in one trip. But it's nice to know, hey, look, I've got some money there, and I can eat. It's not good to say, man, I need to buy groceries. I don't have but $17 in the bank. But the point being here is is that, okay, there is some good in money. Praise the Lord that God gives us money. But money does not need to become our God and what we trust in because money is not the answer to all of our problems. Uh, the problem with money is we begin to trust money. And when we begin to trust money, we begin to not trust God. And so I believe that this passage is probably speaking about the fool who has put his trust in money. Verse 20. Don't curse the king even in your thoughts, and do not curse a rich person even in your bedroom. For a bird of the sky may carry the message, and a winged creature may report The matter. So be careful for those who are in leadership, what we say about them. Now, we need to pray for those who are in leadership. We need to respect those who are in leadership. The Bible tells us that God puts those in power who are in power. He allows those to be in power. Sometimes it is good folks in power, and it's for our good, and sometimes he allows bad folks into power, and it may be for our punishment if we've abandoned him or neglected him or denied him. God does that throughout the Old Testament, and I believe God still does that today. So God is the one who puts leaders where they are, and so we want to be careful not to criticize those in authority, but to pray for those who are in authority. And so maybe you've got one of those bad leaders that was being talked about earlier in Ecclesiastes. Well, We may be tempted to say bad things against that leader, but even if those things are true, it still may be to our own harm. What does it say here? Be careful what you say, even in private, even in secret, because a bird may carry your message. It may make its way back to the leader. And if it's a bad leader, then guess what? You're probably going to have to pay the price. We use that, we use that idea all the time. We'll say sometimes when someone's had a birthday, we'll say, well, somebody, a little birdie told me that this happened. Well, that's the same idea. we That's a saying that was common, obviously, here, a, a saying that's, that's common still today. A little birdie told me this. Uh, I don't know how familiar you guys are with North Korea. It's a bad place. The folks that run it are bad folks, have been for a long time. I read this great book a few years ago uh, by a girl named Mi Park, and uh, she said that her mom said, Hey, look, no matter where you are, If you're at home, if you're in the middle of the woods, you never say anything at all negative about the Kim family because a bird may fly back and tell them. Even the birds are always listening, she said. Another example of of how that is used. The same idea that is used here. The same idea. There is bad leadership there. There are bad people there. And so be careful. Even if we have those folks in our life that are bad, We want to make sure that we don't say negative things about them and be uh, mindful to pray for them. So this passage, or excuse me, this chapter has told us a lot about folly, a lot about foolishness, and a lot about what it means to be wise and a lot about what it means to be foolish. And even though there are some tough verses here that it's, it's hard for us to know exactly what some of them mean, I think the overall point is clear, and that is don't be a fool. Keep your mouth shut. Make wise decisions. We need to check our life. We need to check our our actions with the things that we see here in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, maybe from time to time and say, okay, am I being foolish or am I being wise? Maybe you're being pretty wise, praise the Lord. Maybe you say, well, I'm being a little foolish. If that's the case, then we need to repent and we need to ask God to help us be those who trust him, not in funds, not in our worldly leaders, good or bad, but to trust in God and to seek to live a wise life in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us to be those who live a life of wisdom. Dear Lord, foolishness is ever before us. God, we are faced with foolish temptations every day. And too many times, dear Lord, we give in to them. Too many times we open our mouth and say what we shouldn't say. But dear Lord, let our mouths flow with graciousness. Let us be those that when we speak, we speak your love, that we speak your mercy, that we speak your grace, that we speak your compassion, that through our actions and through our words, dear Lord, we represent you as who you are, God. I pray that you would help us not to be those who ramble about in our foolishness, but let us be those that let our words be few. Let us be those, dear Lord, that regardless of whatever leadership is before us in our country, that we pray for those leaders. And God, that you would give us good leaders and that you would help us to be a nation that that is blessed by you and not one that is cursed by you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.